Welcome to another episode of Harley's Hot Seat. My name's Harley and I'll be your host. On this episode, we get to talk about people and their passions. Today, we have Gabe Gone. How are you doing today, Gabe? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Good. Well, thank you again for being on my podcast and I'm really excited. Today, we're going to be talking about outdoor sports such as archery and hunting. So the very first question that comes to mind is, how did you get into archery? Ooh, that's every first question. Um, I honestly have no idea. So I grew up in a household where nobody, um, and not even just in the household, but nobody in my extended family, nothing ever did archery. And I have no idea why, but ever since I was probably, I don't know, maybe five or six years old, I was badgering my mother to get me a bow and arrow. And uh, it finally happened. I Around my 10th birthday, I finally got my first bow and arrow, and ever since then, I have not not owned one. Wow. I gave you props. I feel like a lot of mistakes would happen if I had a bow and arrow, and a lot of injuries would take place. You know, I don't think I ever injured myself, and I definitely never injured anyone else, but it was definitely a heck of a learning curve, because on top of having no idea what to do, having my family having no idea what to do, and not having an archery pro shop or anything like that anywhere near me, it was a really steep learning curve. How did you practice? Did you just sort of like put a target on a tree and be like, okay, this is it? Or uh, At first, when I was 10, um, my target was actually a tree. There was a stump in my backyard that I used to shoot. And I just pull and let go. And then, uh, you know, uh, from then I kind of evolved a little bit to, you know, where I, I started to have more and more... Um, access to the internet you know kind of getting like to use the computer more often at home and things like that and uh and being able to look at different pictures there weren't a lot of like forums or like obviously like youtube videos that i found right off the bat and i would be like okay well this guy has his arm straight but a little bit bent he's kind of has his string touching his nose you know that helped me out quite a bit my mother actually um remarried to the man that is my stepfather now and he actually had a little bit of a background in archery so he was the very first person that ever really coached me and I definitely credit him for um getting me to a place where I could I could actually be accurate with a bow and arrow for sure that's really cool we love the step parents I myself have a stepmom and she's definitely she doesn't I don't know if she's taught me anything but she's helped me learn new skills to make my dreams come true, I guess. So sort of in the same way. Yeah, certainly. So when you go from, you know, you go from a 10-year-old to how old you are now, so do you do, like, competitions, or do you use it more for, search, uh, like, a luxury or, like, a, like a hobby? Um, it, it definitely is my hobby, but I've, I've turned it kind of into work. Uh, so anything that you, you know, make a little money at, whether it's a lot of money or a little bit of money, I feel like kind of turns into a job to a degree. But I, I do compete. Um, I've shot national tournaments, um, everything from the biggest tournament basically on the world, which is in uh, Las Vegas every year. I've shot that all the way to the biggest 3D tournament as far as I know in the world, um, which is in Redding, California every year. Um, I've shot one ASA, one IBO, um, which are professional organizations of archery tournaments. Um, and then, uh, a lot of NFAA, which is also a uh, professional organization of archery. Um, unfortunately, with archery, it's kind of confusing in the competition world because there is IBO, there's ASA, there's OPA, there's NFAA, there is, um, there used to be the Buckmasters Tour. I don't know if that's still a thing. Um, there used to be 
uh, God, it wasn't the X Games, but it was like the Sportsman Games or something like that. So there's a lot of professional divisions of archery. There's not like an NFL where it's like that is where professional football is played, or the NBA, which is where ba- professional basketball is played. Um, there's a lot of different divisions that do tournaments differently. Kind of confusing, and that's something that I'd hope archery would honestly change going forward. Like I would like to see one organization that steps up and says, "Hey, we're the organization for professional archery. This is professional archery. All the other ones are amateur or you know." Um, hobby tournaments, and uh, this is the one that you is outside of what they call net non-endemic sponsors, like Pepsi, like uh, Monster, like um, basically sponsors that have nothing to do with the outdoor archery world would want to get involved, kind of like the NFL and the NBA, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, my whole face, you can't see it, but you listed all those terms, and I was just very confused, but that's good to know. That is interesting that there's different associations and stuff. So how do you determine what tournaments you play, uh, you compete in? Um, so that's just kind of based on what you like. So um, I, and what's near you. So like I have to travel, um, being from the West Coast, I'm actually relocating to Texas. So I'll actually be shooting a lot more ASAs. Um, but I have to travel really far to shoot an ASA being on the West Coast. The closest West Coast ASA is actually Paris, Texas. Um, that's the closest one. To West Coast. IBO tournaments are mostly like the Northeast portion, so I believe the closest IBO or the yeah the closest IBO tournament to me is in oh man I think Pennsylvania maybe. Um, and then a lot of the NFAA stuff is more West Coast. Um, that's that's who puts on the Reading tournament and the Vegas tournament. Um, so for me, it had to do more with locale, um, but they do have a little bit different uh, style of play, I suppose, to the tournament. So most NFA tournaments, they have like an aiming reference, which is like a dot on the target that's colored, even on the 3D animals, which are basically three-dimensional foam animals that they put outside in like kind of realistic shot scenarios, um, which is like I said, commonly referred to as 3D tournaments. Um, but in the NFA, they usually have an orange dot which is like the highest scoring ring, which is what you're trying to hit. Um, whereas the ASA and the IBO, they have rings on them for scoring, but they're they're not any different color than the animal. So you kind of have to look at it with your binoculars, find a reference point to where you can remember where that scoring ring is, and just kind of do your best to aim for that area. Um, whereas the, there is a very bright, very in-your-face visual reference as to where you want to aim on most FAA targets. That's cool. I think the only targets I've ever associated with archery is like the red and white circles, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and those are still shot today. Those are um, what they call world archery now. It used to be FIDA. Um, but it's uh, like kind of basically like what you would see in like a Robin Hood movie. You know, you stand at a distance pretty far away from the target. It's red or it's actually white, black, blue, red, yellow. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you score accordingly. And that's actually still how the Olympics are done to this day. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah, the closest I think I've come to actual archery is either on the Wii, you know, for games, um, like Emporium thing, where I got to shoot fake archery, like I got to do fake archery. Okay. I'm not very good at it. But... Well, I wasn't very good when I started either, so, you know, that's okay. I'll have to practice. You know, one day I'll get really good, and then you'll see me competing. One day. Perfect. I, I look forward to it. 
how do you pre- how do you go about preparing for tournaments? Like, is there certain like practices you have to do? Is there a certain um, like physique you have to stay in? Honestly, some of the most well, okay, you know what? I'm I'm actually gonna I don't yeah I don't know if that one's fair to say actually, but here's the thing: is I've seen people that archery is kind of one of the cool sports in in that aspect, to where I have seen people of all shapes and sizes win major archery tournaments. I've seen short, stocky, overweight guys win tournaments. I've seen tall, lean, muscular guys win tournaments. And I've seen, you know, the a very like a you know, I would say like a very average physique guy, you know, somebody who's maybe five eight, five nine and, you know, isn't fat but isn't skinny, you know, isn't muscular, but is just kinda of like an average looking guy and they win tournaments, you know. So that's kinda of one of those things where you don't have to be a freak athlete or in tremendous shape to necessarily be um competitive. I, I don't think not being in shape doesn't help you in you know in instances especially with like just mental the mental aspect and like the, the discipline of it because i mean obviously if you can convince yourself to go work out every day you convince yourself to practice every day and you know be thorough and, and things of that nature um where where i think physique really comes into play is um is when you hunt with a bow i think uh i think a lot of people uh, take for granted um being fit and uh and you know being in shape in regards to bow hunting a lot um, so I'm probably one of the worst people to talk to about that because there's a lot of things that you should do for training, which is like, for instance, a lot of guys, what blank bailing is you set up a target very, 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 very close to you, or we're talking maybe a step, maybe two steps away, and it has no aiming reference on it. So no bullseye, no dot, no nothing. And you just sit there, pull your bow back, and just work on your mechanics of just surprise shot, basically letting the bow go off without you essentially in your head commanding it to. Um, and a lot of guys will do that for a month, two months in the off season. That's not something I do very often. Um, a lot of guys will um, do uh, one arrow drills, they call it, where you know you uh, shoot one arrow at a target and uh, you walk all the way down to that target, pull your arrow out of the target, and walk all the way back so that you're more, um, I guess, focused on the individual shot. Because if you got 12 arrows in your quiver and you and you let a uh, half effort we'll call it a half effort shot go off you're kind of like eh, whatever you know and you load the next arrow and just keep shooting you know whereas when you have one arrow that you're going to shoot and you're going to go all the way down to the target to shoot it you usually put a lot more um thought and care i suppose into that shot um i just shoot really so time that i get or any, any free moment that i have that i can spend outside or inside even and shoot my bow i do you love the honesty you know Seem a lot more reasonable for everybody who who ever wants to try it. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm terrible at having a training regimen. I really ought to like to really get more competitive and a lot better with my tournament circuit stuff. Um, I really ought to practice more and do a lot more metal game too. Because honestly, if anything's cost me more big tournament wins than anything in the archery circuit, it's been not paying attention. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I guess it really does. You have to have a certain amount of focus in order to, like, be successful at this. 100%. I would say this game is 80% mental, 10% physical, and probably 10% luck. Lucks and everything, you know, we really need it. So when, so say you're at a tournament, you know, what's going through your mind when you're pulling back your arrow? Don't miss. 
um, you know, honestly, so in a tournament, I if I can get into a groove, I know I'm going to have a good tournament. If I can, if I can get that on the first three targets, I'm in a rhythm and I'm rolling, and I'm I'm going to shoot good that day. It's the first three targets where I really get the jitters, and I'm like, oh god, oh god, okay, bubbles level, pins in the middle, okay, okay, pull, 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 you know, and I really am in my head about it, and I don't want to miss. And when you don't want to miss, you're almost afraid to hit because you're 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 not letting the process happen and you're hyper focused on one thing or another and you're not you're not using the process that you use thousands and thousands and thousands of arrows of you know before that. And um so it's it's nerve wracking. So I'm really, really in my head the first probably like I said, three targets where I'm really trying to tell myself don't miss and I'm really basically I'm doing both things wrong. <laughs> But if I can get over the first three targets, I'm good to go. That's cool. Yeah, don't miss. I feel like that would go through everybody's head. Like, don't miss. If you miss, it's if you miss, it's done. You can't do nothing anymore. And the nice thing is, is that a lot of 3D tournaments you can miss. You know, I mean, you know, obviously the, the object in the game is an object. This is kind of like a little fun artifact, but um, the the word sin that everybody you know contributes to doing a bad thing or committing a bad act actually is an old i believe it's latin word for missing the target like in archery that's that's, that's the word for that is to miss the target which is interesting um but yeah uh you know definitely don't want to miss but in the 3d world you can miss a few times and still be competitive it's the indoor world where i think that's why so many people where where the where the falling out is in indoor because indoor is a twenty yards which is not far and you shoot three arrows or five arrows into a paper target you go to a major indoor tournament and you miss one time you're done you're not gonna win that tournament but it's so easy to hit that spot the fact that it is so easy to do it and the fact that you know that if you don't do it one time you're done it just freaks everybody out I'd believe it yeah that would definitely spook me oh man I don't know if I could do that. It's nerve-wracking because, like I said, you miss once and it's over. But the tournament ever in the world to shoot is an indoor tournament where you already miss. Easiest tournament in the world after that. Yeah, that sounds, that's like a lot of pressure. A lot, a lot of pressure. Um, Hypothetically, if you were in the Hunger Games, do you think you could win with a bow and arrow? Ooh, okay, so that's a really interesting question. So, obviously, I predominantly I shoot a compound bow, which is a bow that has um composite limbs and aluminum riser machine cams a cable guard i'm shooting it with a mechanical release which is a device that actually lets the string go for me um i'm shooting a peep sight that you know is tough to see through in low light conditions sight pins the whole nine and that works as a weapon i suppose in a stealth type manner so if you have the element of surprise on your hand you can use a compound bow as a weapon and it would be effective but what Katniss in that movie used, and what most people I think would prefer as a weapon in that kind of scenario would actually be like a recurve or a longbow, which is basically just a wooden old school bow, like a stick essentially that has a string on it, um, because you could shoot that fast. And you could keep just putting an arrow in it, pulling it back and letting go, pulling it back and letting go. There's not really, there's just kind of a point and shoot mentality to it. There's not a, a very precise aiming system with a lot of things going on. And I'm definitely not as good a shot with a recurve, but barring anyone else had anything crazy like a like a gun or a lightsaber or I don't know, something wild, I think with a recurve bow I'd have a chance. I don't think I'd be the first one to, to die. That's 
all that matters. You know, you're not the first one. Imagine like Luke Skywalker coming in with a lightsaber, just be like, it's over for everybody. Yeah, I just probably put it down. Be like, all right, well. You just give up right then and there. Do you also hunt with your bows when you go hunting? I do. Um, and that's honestly where it started for me, really. I honestly started doing competitions to be a better shot, to be a better bow hunter. Um, I started bow hunting when I was probably 13 years old is when I very first went. Um, and I've pretty much bow hunted every year of my life up until then. And now, I mean, it's getting to the point now where I'm going on um, more and more um, adventure type hunts where I'm going out of state or, uh, you know, to a wild, crazily remote place um, in the United States. Uh, hopefully the world at some point, but uh, camping out and uh, living out of a backpack for a few days and, um, you know, pursuing whatever game um, I'm awarded tag for. I've hunted everything from mule deer to white-tailed deer to black-tailed deer to elk to antelope to bears to fish even. I've even, uh, you can rig a, a reel with a line up to a bow and you can actually hunt fish with your bow. That's interesting. Wait, you took down a bear with a bow and arrow? I have not. So I went bear hunting with my bow and arrow, but I actually never did encounter a bear, in, which is crazy because I saw preseason when we'd go, you, you call it scouting, which is essentially you go get a feel for the area. You kind of get an idea of where the animals frequent. And so you kind of know at least approximately where to go when the season opens up. And preseason scouting, we saw a lot of bears in that particular area, but I did not see one bear all season while I was actually out there hunting. So I did not actually take a bear with my bow, but I sure tried. That's all that matters is you tried. No, I don't. Like, in my brain, it makes sense that you could take out a bear with a bow and arrow. I'm a, yeah, I'm going to tell you right now that there is not an animal that walks on Earth that couldn't be taken down with an arrow. I believe you, but I don't know. There's, like, a logically sign, like, what about an armadillo? Easy, easy, easy. Well, it depends, but, I mean, I'm telling you. So what a lot of people don't understand is, like, a bow packs a punch, like, because... It's the amount of focus energy. So, I mean, my, my bow, for instance, I'm generating just under about 90 pounds of kinetic energy, which is the amount of what they call pounds per foot that is actually hitting the target when my arrow hits that target. Well, the problem is, is like I said, it's taking in pounds per foot, where, but I'm focusing all of that energy onto the very tip of an arrow that's less than maybe a 64th, like 164th of an inch. So 86, 87 pounds per foot of energy is being placed on the tip of an arrow that's maybe, like I said, 1 64th of an inch. So the amount of focused energy there, arrows penetrate like crazy. Like, uh, for instance, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, and, and it does have to do with the difference between um, how a bullet hits something versus how an arrow hits something, but a lot of it does have to do with that focused energy is that an arrow will go through a bulletproof vest. So you could shoot a bulletproof vest with a bullet. Obviously, the bullet's going a lot faster and hitting a lot harder, but it won't go through a bulletproof vest. But because the way that the arrow distributes its energy, an arrow will go through a bulletproof vest. No way. Yep. I wish I knew this. Um, earlier this year, I got hit by two deer in my car within 36 hours of each other, shooting with an arrow. Yeah. In a rural area, uh, like a suburban area, rather, um, you can't obviously go in there with a gun and, and, and hunt things because you don't want to accidentally send a bullet through your neighbor's fence or their house or their window or whatever. You know, it, it's just dangerous to, you know, be operating firearms that close to where people live. But with a bow and arrow, there's a lot of states that actually do offer permits to where you can go hunting in those more suburban areas 
and you can control the animal population and that pays dividends in both both spectrums because one the hunter that is able to harvest here in those suburban areas one they're providing you know clean natural meat to their friends and family as well you know obviously as well as themselves but they're also doing their part in reducing the populations of wild animals that have interactions with humans because unfortunately the more and the more animals in the area, the more the higher likelihood there is for a negative interaction, whether that be some sort of animal attack or whether that be colliding with an animal with your car or having the animals damaged to your property when there is an uncontrolled population of any sort of animal in close proximity with humans. Yeah, that makes sense. I was in southern Utah when I got hit by a car, right, ne- right by, hit by a deer, and I was working at a ranch by Zion National Park. I apply. To hunt Zion every year. Those things, those things, horrible, horrible. I lived about, I don't know, 10 minutes from the east side of Zion National Park. It was so bad. I ended up changing my work schedule so I would get home before dark because of mm-hmm. how terrified I was of another deer hitting my car. Like two of them did severe damage. I had, I think, up to like six grand of damage on my car. Oh, I can imagine. I've, I've seen deer total cars before. I've seen it. I mean, I've, yeah, I've seen cars that have hit a deer or a deer hit the car or however it ended up going. But I've seen cars that were totaled due to a collision with a deer. Yeah. The thing is, my car was stopped. Oh, Jesus. It was not, it was not a good time for me. I've been in a car accident before, so that was like a lot of shock. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they're not... You know what's so weird is like I I honestly see animals do things like that sometimes. I've also I've seen a deer trip before, like in the woods. I watched a deer walk around and it tripped over like a like a log essentially, and it stumbled and it got up and like looked around like you see that you know it was like the funniest one of the funniest things I've ever seen. But like I've just seen animals do like such dumb things, and I think man you know how how dumb are some of these animals? And then you actually try to hunt those animals and you would swear to god they're the smartest creatures that have ever existed on this earth including humans you know because you just seem like you get outsmarted every corner i don't a lot of people don't know this but the average success rate for a bow hunter uh, uh any person going in and hunting any sort of big game with a with bow and with a bow and arrow is around 10 percent. so for every 10 hunters in the woods with a bow and arrow usually only one guy uh, will actually harvest the animals that they're after Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, they're really smart when they have to be. Yeah, when it comes to survival, they're they're pretty genius. All right, Gabe, so I have one final question for you before we wrap up this interview, and it's just what advice would you give somebody who's interested in starting archery, whether that's for a hobby or for competition or even just to use it to hunt? Okay, so my first recommendation would be absolutely do not do what I did. Do not just buy a bow and arrow set or have somebody get you a bow and arrow set and just start flinging arrows because you're going to learn a million bad habits that are going to take months, if not years. So what I would recommend is even if you have to travel a little bit, you know, go to a the closest pro shop. There's just like golf, there's archery pro shops out there and there's knowledgeable people who know a lot about the bows, how to work on them, how to set them up, um, how to fit them to people. Go in there and, uh, you know, schedule kind of a, uh, uh, like a test shoot, you know, obviously shoot a few bows to see what kind of things you like. Maybe you like a different brand or a different model or maybe a little bit longer bow, a little bit shorter bow, 
uh, in regards to axle to axle length, you know, see what weight you're comfortable pulling, uh, see what your draw length measures out to, um, and just get a feel for it. And then from there, decide what kind of bow you want to buy, what's in your budget, what you want to use it for, whether you kind of want to use it for everything or you want it specifically for competitions or specifically for hunting, or if you just want something you can plink around with in the backyard. And then make that purchase at a local pro shop to where, like I said, they can make sure that the bow is set up for you to your specification for what you want to do and that you can actually go out there with an idea of how to do it correctly from the jump and then just improve from being, because honestly, you can shoot decent in a matter of hours. I mean, it takes years and years and years and years to get really, really good, but you can shoot decent just in about an hour or two left. Um, so I would definitely recommend going that route and letting a professional um, get you set up and started with a bow. And then from there, there's a ton of great um, YouTube series. There's a ton of great podcasts out there. There's a ton of uh, a ton of information just in every sort of media that there is now in regards to archery and how to like fine tune the little things to get really, really good. Um, but yeah, like I said, just beginning, I would definitely go to a pro shop and and make sure that you're set up right. That's awesome advice. Well, thank you again so much for being on my podcast. I really do appreciate it. Not a problem at all. you want to tell the listeners where they can find you on social media? Yeah, so my Instagram is Gabe underscore D012. My uh, TikTok account is Gabe Real, R-E-A-L, one, two. Those two work. Those two work. I actually found you through TikTok. I think I remember that. I think you were in one of my live streams once. Yes, yes. And that's what I do is I find guests through TikTok. And I think you're like, you're one of the first ones. But now I have like four other people from TikTok that I'm interviewing, which is insane in my brain. That's cool. I'm glad it's working out for you. Thank you. And thank you again for being on my podcast. And thank you to everybody who's listening, whether this is your first episode or this is your third or fourth, or you've been here since day one, I really do appreciate it. And if you or anybody you'd like to know wants to be on Harley's Hot Seat, please feel free to DM me on Instagram or Twitter at harj 98 And I hope you have a great day.